Well, good evening. Good, yeah. Good to see you all tonight. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at some slides, so if, if you can't see them real good, uh, maybe you might want to get up and, and get a little for get a little closer so you can see some slides tonight. I am glad you're here tonight. We have a very uh, interesting, uh, fascinating prophecy that we're going to look at tonight here in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. This is one of those prophetic peaks that you find in the scripture. Fascinating couple of chapters. Father, we are grateful tonight that nothing takes you by surprise. You know the beginning to the end. You are sovereign over history. You are sovereign over kingdoms. You are sovereign over individual lives. And Lord, thank you that um, the promises that you have made show great salvation for those that belong to you. And we take great comfort in the future that you have for each one of us. And then, Lord, we are concerned for the many terrible things that are yet to come. And we pray for our friends and our relatives. Lord, teach us to be aware of the age in which we live, the time in which we live, and how important it is that we would follow you wholeheartedly, Lord, in these days. Bless our time in your word tonight, I do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 1002, if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you, Ezekiel chapter 38. Last week, we studied Ezekiel chapter 37. And if you remember in that chapter, Ezekiel the prophet was taken by the Spirit into a valley where he saw a whole bunch of dead, dry bones lying around in this dry desert valley. And God told Ezekiel, commanded Ezekiel to begin to prophesy to those dead bones. And so Ezekiel begins to prophesy to the dead bones. And you remember what happened. He heard rattling. The bones started coming together. So you had a bunch of skeletons laying on the ground. And then the flesh and skin covered the bones. So then you had a bunch of dead corpses lying on the valley floor. And then breath came into those bodies. And they came up and it was a standing, living, breathing army. And remember, that was a prophetic picture of the rebirth of the nation of Israel in the land of Israel. It's a picture of a nation that was once dead and scattered 
becoming alive, gathered together. And remember that that prophecy was partially fulfilled when the Jews were allowed to leave Babylon, go back to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and Ezra, rebuild their city, rebuild their temple. There was a partial rebirth at that time. But remember, they didn't stay in the city that long. They were never in power again. They were never a kingdom again. And by 70 AD, the Roman Empire came along and kicked all the Jews out of the homeland. The temple destroyed the city destroyed again. And so over really the last 2,500 years, the Jewish nation has been a dead nation scattered out all over the place. And then on May 14th, 1948, a miracle happened. I believe it's an absolute miracle. After being scattered around for 2,500 years and during wars and things like the Holocaust... The Jewish nation was reborn in the land of Israel as a state in our generation, our day. An absolute miracle that the nation of Israel is there today. Okay, so that was Ezekiel chapter 37. Now we move to the next chapters, 38. And 39. And these chapters tell us about a war that's going to take place over the nation of Israel. Bible scholars refer to it as the War of Gog and Magog. And as you're going to see tonight, That war has not yet happened. You can find no record of the war that we're going to read about tonight ever happening in the history of Israel. It's still a future war. And so I think it's safe to assume that just as Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled in our generation, our lifetime, that it's highly likely we'll see the war of Gog and Magog occur. In our lifetime. Okay, let's get into it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 38. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say thus says the Lord God behold I'm against you O Gog the prince of Rosh Meshach and Tubal I will turn you around put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army horses and horsemen and splendidly clothed a great company with bucklers and shields All of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops. The house of Togarmah from the far north. 
and all its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. Okay, so this passage predicts an alliance of nations that will be gathered together for war. And the instigator of this alliance will be this person referred to in verse 2 as Gog. Gog is not a personal name. This guy won't be Mr. Gog. This is a formal, official title of a world leader like Pharaoh, President, Caesar. It says that this Gog will be in verse 2 of the land of Magog. That refers to the area occupied by Russia and the republics of the former Soviet Union. He will be the prince of Rosh. Rosh is an ancient word from where we get Russia. Meshach. Most Bible scholars think that that would refer to Moscow. And Tubal. Most scholars believe that would refer to the Russian city of Tobosk, which is a very important city in Russia, high energy reserves there. So this is Russia, way up in here. They're the instigator of this alliance. And if, there were, if this were to happen today, who would be the Gog? Vladimir Putin. Right? Okay. Notice the other countries that will be joining this alliance. It says in verse 5, who's first on the list? Persia. That's Iran. In fact, that place has always been known as Persia up until 1935. Iran will be in an alliance with Russia. Now, for the first time in all of history, uh, Iran and Russia have been friendly. There's an alliance between them. And what do we know about Iran right now? Well, they want nuclear energy. Why? Do they want more streetlights on? They want nuclear power so they can build a bomb, right? So you got Russia, Iran, Ethiopia and the Sudan, Libya, over here, Gomar, Gomer up in this area, Togoma, Turkey, and then it says that there will be many other people with them. You could assume folks like uh, Syria, Lebanon, all of that together forming an alliance. So here is a prophecy that indicates that Russia and this alliance will be gathering together for war. Now, let me ask you a question. What do most of those nations have in common? They're Islamic regimes, aren't they? What do Islamic regimes think about Israel? They hate Israel. In fact, the the people of Iran, along with many others have called for the complete annihilation of the land of Israel. 
to wipe Israel off the map. You with me? All right. Who's going to be the target of this alliance? Pretty much easy to guess, but let's read so you see for sure. Verse 8. Read carefully with me. After many days you will be visited in the latter years. You will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You, this is Gog in the alliance, will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty. To stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Didan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock? Stock and goods to take great plunder. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog. Thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the when? Latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hollowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So who's the target of this alliance? Israel. This whole group of nations will attack Israel. In verse 14, the Lord says, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely. Verse 16, My people Israel, you will come against them like a cloud. Clearly, this is an alliance of nations that will target Israel. And, you know, we find some really interesting details in this passage that we just read. Look at verse 8 again real quickly. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the nations, on the mountains of Israel. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying that here's an alliance that will be formed and will attack a newly reborn nation of Israel in the land. So this is a war that will take place shortly after 
the nation of Israel has been reborn back in their land. Again, I think that was fulfilled, and that prophecy was recorded in Ezekiel chapter 37, fulfilled in May 14th of 1948, and so here comes an alliance against them soon after that. In the latter days. Good verse 11. Gog says, you will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls. Now that verse seems to indicate that this alliance will attack Israel when they're vulnerable, living with a false sense of security. Rather unwalled. Now, if you go to Israel today, you will find out that they don't take security lightly. IDF, man, they're toughest soldiers on the planet. And they do have walls in Israel. They are very secure in Israel. They're ready for anything. However, there is always pressure upon Israel to do things to make peace. Have you noticed that? The United Nations wants them to trade land for peace. And there's all this pressure on Israel to concede, to make concessions. And so it's not too hard to understand that one day in the future there could be a peace, more of a peace that's guaranteed to Israel, which they believe. They sort of let their guard down. And that's when this alliance of the nations will attack. And boy, will they attack. Verse 9 says, you will ascend coming like a storm. Covering the land like a cloud. Verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. Okay, so why does this alliance want to attack Israel? Well, we probably all know what the agenda of a country like Iran might be, right? But what about Russia? Why would Russia want to attack Israel? Look at verse 12. To take plunder and to take booty to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited. Russia will be in it for money. Russia will be in it for gold, resources. In fact, there are many that believe uh, Israel one day will discover a, a huge reserve of gas or natural gas, oil, and that there will be something very valuable that comes on the scene, makes headlines, and starts to get Russia all excited. And behind the scenes, working to put this alliance together. Okay. What about the other nations that aren't a part of this alliance? What are they thinking? Verse 13, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Scholars believe that could refer to England, other places in Europe. The young lions might even be a reference to the United States. 
And the idea is that the other nations will see this happening and they'll question it. But they're not going to act. Okay, so you put all that together. This huge alliance gathering together against Israel. Israel will be in a place of vulnerability. And they'll be very much alone. The other nations won't be with them. Crazy scary for Israel. Did you know Israel is about as big as the state of New Jersey? It's 260 miles long. Three to nine miles wide in its narrowest, 60 miles at its widest. Just a little piece of real estate right there. Look at that. It's estimated that Israel now has a military force of about 750,000 soldiers. Scholars teach that an alliance like you read about here would have 51 million soldiers. Israel would be outnumbered 70 to 1 with firepower, huge, huge minority. Horrific time for Israel. How does God, not Gog, God, how does God feel about this? Well, look at verse 18. And it will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. Is God pleased with this? He's furious. And you are going to see that at the battle of Gog and Magog, God fights. God will intervene in radical ways. Look at verse 19 again. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken, surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, So that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Right as this alliance is gathering and they're preparing and they're starting their attack, there's going to be a humongous earthquake that will capture the attention of the entire world. It will shake the whole earth. The life in the oceans will even be impacted by it. And do you think that's going to disrupt the alliance? Most certainly. Right at that crucial time. Verse 21 God says, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. 
every man's sword will be against his brother. Now, do you remember, you read some of the, the wars that are detailed in the Old Testament when God fights against the armies that have gathered against Israel in the past. A lot of times he'll confuse them. You remember those stories? Where they actually get confused and start killing one another. That seems to be what's going to happen with this alliance. In the confusion of the earthquake and all of that, this alliance will start fighting each other in massive confusion. Verse 22. And I will bring him, Gog, to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Do you think people will know that God is God? Okay, so we have... This alliance coming, and they are massively destroyed. We're talking earthquakes, confusion, friendly fire. And this is the language, really, what most Bible scholars speak of and think of as a nuclear exchange of some kind, a nuclear fallout. Literally a nuclear bomb of some kind, I don't know, dropped way up north, Syria and Lebanon, impacting the land of Israel, or dropped way down south by Egypt in the Gaza Strip where part of this alliance is flowing in. Massive death. Massive destruction. It continues into chapter 39. Look what it says in verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog... And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will bring you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. By the way, on that map, what countries are north of Israel? Russia, Turkey, that area. Verse 3, then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. And I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field for I have spoken, says the Lord God. So again, kind of a repeat of what we were already told. Massive destruction. Almost everyone in this alliance, when it's all said and done, lies dead in an open field. Verse 6, very scary verse. After that devastation, it says, And I will send fire on whom? Magog, where's that? It's way up north in Russia. And on those who live in security in the where? The coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. It really does seem like 
in the aftermath of that battle that there will be a nuclear exchange with Russia. Not only do we have nuclear radioactive dirty bombs going off around Israel, but it seems like there would be a nuclear bomb that would go off in Russia. And then also in the coastlands. Some even believe that might be a reference to the United States. Some kind of a nuclear exchange between America and Russia or Russia and some other country. Pretty crazy, right? Verse 7. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely, now look at this, it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day which I have spoken. Now that is an absolute guarantee that what we just read about will happen. This war will take place. Okay, now, this is the most fascinating part of the prophecy, which I see indicates that we're in modern days here in this prophecy. Look at the aftermath. Look what it says. Verse 9. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for how long? Seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. After this is done, there's going to be a whole bunch of different weapons spread out on the battlefield. And the weapons are discussed here in ancient terms. Something that Ezekiel would have known. And they'll take these weapons and from that weapon, that supply of weapons, they'll be able to burn something for seven years. What does that mean? Well, it's very possible that it's speaking about tanks, equipment. And that when this is all said and done, Israel will go out on that battlefield and take all of the fuel. And will have enough fuel to service their army, their military, for seven years. Very possible. Verse 11, it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers, because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will 
gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. Now, do we read that right? It's going to take them seven months. Seven months to bury all of the bodies that are found in and around the land of Israel on, after that war. And it says that they're going to be buried east of the sea. Most Bible scholars believe that indicates the Dead Sea, that they will be east of the Dead Sea, which is now modern-day Jordan, will become this burial place, this set-apart, um, quarantined, burial place for Gog, for Russia, for all of these groups that are killed on the battlefield. Now look at it, verse 14. They will set apart men regularly employed, in other words, professionals, professional barriers, with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. The name of the city will also be Hamanoah. They shall cleanse the land. What in the world? Here's how it goes down. There's this battle. When it's all over, nobody goes into the place for seven months. You can't go in. After seven months, there's an official search party with professional barriers. They're marking bodies. And then eventually those bodies are transferred very carefully to this specially quarantined place east of the Dead Sea. Sounds like a nuclear fallout to me. Sounds like very careful navigation of the way you bury all these folks. I see folks in the hazmat suits taking care of this. And it takes them seven excruciating long months before they can cleanse it. What a crazy prophecy. The Lord says this will happen. I can't find anything in the history of Israel, any battle or war that even comes close to matching this. Can you find one? So that tells me that this is future. This will happen. And by the way, I believe that we are living in the last days precisely because a prophecy like this can at least realistically look like it could be fulfilled in our day. No other time in history. You got to have Israel back in the land. Reborn. You got to have an alliance come against them. 
You got to have look like a like a, a nuclear fallout take place. I believe that we are in, as it's mentioned several times in our passage, the latter days. The last days. And I actually believe that all of the signs that you find in the scripture that indicate last day living are in place. In our generation, in our time, right now. Every main thread, every main vein of prophecy that is said to converge in the latter days is there. Israel back in the land, that's huge. A nation of Israel back in the land of the promised land of Israel. That has to happen if you're in the last days. By the way, Jerusalem also has to be under control of Israel if you're living in the last days. And in 1967, Israel got Jerusalem. Jerusalem is to be the capital of Israel. So when our embassy was moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, I got real excited. The Bible is absolutely clear. Israel back in the land, surrounded by nations that are hostile to them. Do we have that today? Without a doubt. Do you know how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament that speak of the difficulty that Israel will have from the nations around them? There's going to be a war of Gog and Magog happening right there. By the way, there's another battle that will take place located right there at the very end of time. And that's called what? The Battle of Armageddon. Megiddo on the Valley of Jezreel. Again, it's a scenario in the future that shows a bunch of nations surrounding Israel, hostile to Israel, joining together to fight against Israel. Israel back in the land. Surrounded by nations. In fact, really, there's only two things that I can think of that need to happen as far as that front. Number one, the Jews need to come to Jesus. There needs to be a revival that will take forth. That has not happened. And number two, there has to be a new temple rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem, which has not yet happened. But folks, when that happens, look out. So we have that. When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, remember the disciples came to Jesus and literally said, what are the signs of the end of the age? That's a question I would have asked, you know. You've got Jesus right there. What will the signs be that indicate we're living in the latter days? And Jesus gave many, many different kinds of signs. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, 
and earthquakes in various places. And he goes on to say that those earthquakes and those pestilences and those natural catastrophes will be like birth pangs. Now, what happens when you get closer to, to labor? When you get closer to birth, ladies, I've never been there. The pangs get closer and more intense. So it's not the existence of earthquakes on the planet that indicates you're in the last days. It's the closer they're together and in what intensity they are. As we get towards the last days, you will see more and more and more of that. There will be wars, Jesus said. And here's the part that I really find interesting. Jesus said in the last day, there will be many rumors of wars. Almost to the point where you don't know what's a real war and what's a fake war. A lot of confusion. Now, I don't know about you, with the 24-hour news cycle and with live Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds and Internet feeds, man, you got a lot of information coming at you. And in a day and age where photos can be doctored with Photoshop and where you can make awesome videos right there at your computer, I'll tell you, sometimes it's hard when you see something. Is this real? Or is it fake? What news source can you trust? I think there's a lot of potential for these rumors of wars in the day in which we live. The Bible indicates that in the last days, horrific things will be happening on this planet spiritually. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. There will be widespread spiritual deception all across the planet in the later days. Many people will come on the scene claiming to be Christ. All of the false religions, all of the garbage... That is an indicator that you are living in the last days. Another indicator, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, what is that? It's apostasy. The Bible teaches that in the last days there will be a great apostasy, which is a falling away. From the true church. True Christianity. Those people that you thought were Christians. They will fall away from this true Christian faith. This true following Christ. I think we see a lot of that. You tell me what you think the condition of the church in America is like. Is it real? Do we have a lot of fluff out there? People falling away? Listen to some of just the recent news headlines I've seen. Lutherans welcome seven gay pastors. 
Episcopal court finds pastor guilty of theft. Pastor takes leave amid allegations of gay sex and the illegal use of drugs. The gospel of prosperity. Who really prospers? The pastors. Minister held on incest charge. Scholars wrap up vote on gospels. 80% of Jesus' words are ruled out. Church clears minister and finds him innocent for disobeying church rules for performing a lesbian unit ceremony. Televangelists eyed in funds lawsuit. And what is the condition of the church? Does the church look different from the world in our day and age? Or sadly, in many cases, Christians look exactly like the way other people live in this world. There will be a great falling away. A great apostasy. Technology. I believe we live in the day and age where technology exists that make things that were predicted in the Bible make sense. That nobody ever would have guessed prior to our age of technology. The Bible indicates that people will be able to see things live across the globe together. I mean, a hundred years ago, that was like, what is that? Now it's easy, right? Satellite TV, hey, watch, watch it on your phone. Old, day, Old Testament, the, the last day prophecy seemed to indicate that people will have a hard time getting away. People will be easy, easily tracked with our GPS sensors. People know where you are. If you use a phone, they know where you are. What about the deal about one day you will not be able to buy or sell without a mark in your hand or a mark on your forehead. Hundreds of years. Scholars looked at that verse and thought, what? That's utterly symbolic. That's crazy, John. It's happening. The Bible says that in the last days, this is a good, positive one, the gospel message will reach the entire planet. That's awesome, right? How does that happen? Through technology. Through the gospel going out in all of these different venues and media outlets. Book of Revelation describes exactly what we just read in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Mayhem of war. Fire and brimstone. Modern weaponry. Makes that possible. Nuclear power. Makes that possible. I mean, I look at it from every angle. From all my studying of scripture. It all points to we're living in the last days, folks. Very quickly. I want to put up a chart that shows 
illustratively how I believe things will end up, how the last day scenario works. You're not going to be able to read a lot of the words from in the back, but right over here, that's where we are now, the church age, the present church age. I do believe that the next thing that will happen as a church is there will be a rapture of the church. Following the rapture of the church, there will be a seven-year period of time known in the Bible as the tribulation. This is the time where the Antichrist is set loose. Um, The first three and a half years will be relatively peaceful because the Antichrist will make a peace agreement with Israel and all of that. And the whole world will be deceived by the Antichrist. In the middle of the seven-year tribulation period, the desecration of a newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem will take place. Jesus referred to it as the abomination of the desolation. Something about the beast will put up an image of himself in this temple in Jerusalem. And after that, literally, all hell breaks out on planet Earth. We enter into three and a half years. It's called the Great Tribulation. That's when all of those horrific things in the sky and all of that that you read about in Revelation, all of that gets poured out. Things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, after seven years, Christ comes again. The church comes with him. There is the battle of Armageddon. Jesus wipes out the Antichrist. And all of the armies that have gathered against him and against the nation of Israel. Jesus will literally become king of Israel. Sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. Which leads to a 1,000 year reign of Christ known as the millennium. After the millennium there will be a final time of judgment. And after that we go into what scholars just simply refer to as the eternal state. New heaven, new earth. Everything changes. We'll definitely have to wait to get there to see what that will be like. Now, I, I believe we are right there, man. I believe it could happen at any moment. Interesting question. Where does the war of Gog and Magog show up? On this timeline. There are some that say it happens here. With the return of Christ. But I think they're getting that mixed up with the battle of Armageddon. So there are people that say it will happen here. Some say it will happen here. And will somehow catapult the Antichrist into more power. Gang, there's nothing that would keep that war from happening here, though, in the church age. That could happen in our time, before the rapture of the church. And I'll tell you what, you look at the current events over there. This is something that we could see. Now, here's the most interesting idea. The battle of of Gog and Magog happens in connection with the rapture. That's an interesting thought. You imagine all this chaos happening and in the midst, people disappearing. 
the church going home. It would sort of be lost in the shuffle of everything else that's going on. And then at that point, the Antichrist comes on the scene. Jesus said something in Luke 21. And I want to close with this verse. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Gang, we need to be ready. Christian, I think we live in exciting times. And as Christians, we know we're saved and we're going to ride it out no matter how it plays out. But our job right now is to be good witnesses. To make sure people know about Christ. If you're a Christian here tonight, time to get serious. been playing the game of Christianity. Listen, as I've said many times before, all hands on deck. All witnesses are needed. The time is short. There are family members that still need to know Christ. Are there friends? People that you work with? And share with them. Share with them. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Christ. Hey, listen, you can avoid all this. When Jesus comes again, it will be very dark on planet Earth. But the first time Jesus came, he came to sacrifice himself. To offer himself for the sins of the world. And he rose again the third day. And he is the Lamb of God who has been shed for the sins of the world. And if you will place your faith in him. You'll be forgiven. And you'll become a child in his family. And you'll escape. All that horrific judgment that's coming. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I am so grateful that I know you. We are so grateful that we know you. And Lord, even though our hearts do break at at some really tough times that are coming to this planet, we are looking forward to a day when there is no more sin, no more death, No more wickedness. No more crime. Lord, we look forward to that day. And Lord, we do take uh, quite a bit of solace in the fact that you will set the record straight. That justice will be met. 
Lord, I pray that you would, you would grab hold of the hearts of your people, starting with mine. And you, you pray, starting with your heart. Lord, grab our hearts. pray we'd be deliberate in the way we live. And then, Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who perhaps maybe does, does not know you. Maybe you're here and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'd invite you to do that right now. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Say, tell him you want to be in his family, on his side. On his team. You would do that by receiving Christ personally. Just asking him to be your Lord and Savior. Admitting your sin. Understanding what he did at the cross for you. And so if you want to be sure tonight that I invite you to Just say this prayer with me in the quietness of your heart. Say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I bow before you tonight. I want to be safe. I want to be forgiven of all my sins. I want to be a child in your family. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising again. I ask you right now to be my Lord and my Savior. I place my faith and trust in you right now. Make me brand new. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand and we're going to close with this song.